The Weekly Driver podcast gets support from AmericanMuscle.com, your late model Mustang and F-150 authority, bringing you the hottest products and top-notch customer service for over a decade. No one makes it easier to modify your ride. Visit AmericanMuscle.com today for your chance to win a 2018 Mustang RTR Spec 3. Welcome to the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea. I am the editor and publisher of theweeklydriver.com. I'm an automotive columnist for Bay Area News Group. My co-host is Bruce Allridge. Our guest host today is Carly Starr, the curator of the California Auto Museum in Sacramento. And we've come down to speak with her about all kinds of things at this um, well-known auto museum in, in the capital of California. So welcome, Carly. How are you today? Good. Thanks for having me. This was really fun. You're welcome. Bruce, we looked around earlier, so why don't you start with uh, some nice questions and what we saw on the, on the showroom, if you will. Well, we had a quick walkthrough. I could have spent hours in this place because there's a lot of interesting vehicles, and they change all the time. So, you know, every time you come down, it's something different. I was interested. I had several cars I was going to ask Carly about. One of them is a 66 Shelby Cobra 427. Now, that it's a pretty rare vehicle. Yeah, this Cobra particularly has its own unique story because it was actually originally owned by Tony Hogg, who, who was um, an editor of Road and Track Magazine and was just really well known within the automotive community. So that one was not a racing Cobra, but it was um, one of the original street Cobras um, with the aluminum body. It's not a kit car or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So it's a really, really great one for us to have. Um, the family still owns it, and his son actually comes and continues to work on the car um, to keep it driving and gives it some exercise from time to time. So that's really fun when he starts that car up here at the museum. That thing's loud, I bet, huh? It's very loud. Oh, wow. yeah, <laughs> it's that, nice when we get it out the building. <laughs> that must be great to hear that old, old V8 running. How about, I saw a 1910 Peerless a Model 27 Touring. What was the significance of that thing? It's a beautiful car, right? Yeah, absolutely. We have a Peerless, and then it's not right next to it, but we also have a 1911 Piercero. Mm -hmm. And the two of those were two of the three Ps of these early elegant cars. The third one was Packard. Um, and the Peerless is a really, really nice example of that era. That one had an amazing restoration and went to Pebble Beach Concourse a couple decades ago. Um, and it, it is owned by a local family who has owned it for decades. So it's just a really nice example of it. And then the Piercero that we have, is actually owned by the same family and it's only one year apart but it's had pretty much no restoration work done to it i think it's had a paint job in all these years so it's a really fun to see the two different cars and these really really um expensive cars these would have been the ones that chauffeurs would have been driven yeah. you wouldn't have driven a car yourself that was that big and yeah. that powerful for the time of course it's not very uh, powerful peerless. now <laughs> they didn't make a lot of peerless did they no, Peerless was one of um, the first of those three P's to die out, unfortunately. One other one, uh, I was really a beautiful car for the 30s. Uh, I saw it was, a, it was a 35 Chrysler Imperial Airflow sedan. Mm. And I guess it kind of, as I understand it, set the trend or whatever for more modern vehicles. Yeah, the Airflow is one of the most fascinating cars in the museum, one of my favorites. Um, it's just a really stylish car, but when it came out, it was too forward thinking. So today we look back and we say, wow, it has this amazing technology for the brakes where the engine is located over the front axle, made it more comfortable right inside, completely steel framing. So it was a much safer car. Mm -hmm. um, and then it was the first car to be designed in a wind tunnel. So it was extremely aerodynamic, but it was very weird looking at first. And all these things were strange to the buyers. It only lasted for four years. And um, we have a 35 
which is the second year it was out. So it starts to look a little more normal compared to the sure. 34 models. But it was a complete flop. It scared Chrysler from doing anything revolutionary for a number of years following it. But it really did create these amazing technologies and standards that were later used. I'm trying to think of more modern cars that, that were like ahead of their time. I don't the know, old... one that we, I, I like to think about, we just had a pickup truck exhibit last year and we had um, the new F-150s with the aluminum body and everything. And that's one that oh. a lot of people are like scared of or they were doubting and yes. things. And I think it's process of proving itself. So we'll see. That's True. one that I can think of in, in the current. Comparison. Visually, it didn't. Change, didn't push, no. but the, right. yeah, the idea that aluminum that could was be tough, just right. crazy. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Well, one one thing I noticed about the museum, I've only been I've only been here three or four times through the years, but maybe I've been to I don't know ten other museums. Let's say this is a, a museum that has a lot of different components to it. You have rotating exhibits, you have permanent cars, you have cars for sale, and I don't think I've ever been in a museum <laughs> that has cars for sale. And maybe it's just me not being to very many museums, but that's pretty unique, I think, too. Yeah, there are a couple other ones within the country, but it isn't as common. We have to be very careful of keeping the for sale cars separate from our other displays um, for ethical reasons within the museums, but also some legal DMV type of reasons sure. as well. Um, but it is a really fun way that it adds to our museum. First of all, if we get a car donated that isn't something that we want to accession into our collection, um, we can automatically sell it without having a third party. So that's great financial support for the museum as well as consigning cars. I didn't think about it that way. Yeah. Of course, that makes sense. But it also <laughs> then brings in a fresh rotation of cars and people coming to look at the cars for sale. They then come and discover the museum if they didn't know about it before. Um, it's just a win-win for everybody. People like to sell their car through us because of the name museum as sure, a little yeah. sure. cachet or whatever. But um, it's just a really nice partnership that fits with our mission of supporting kind of the car community and everything as well. Along the same lines, um, if you can share some of this, how do, are, there, are there more people willing to sell the cars here than you can accept? And can you explain how a car might come into your area for sale? Yes. Yeah, we actually have a whole other staff member dedicated to car sales. So it's a very, very robust program. Mm -hmm. um, we do have cars that come in. Um, he doesn't like to admit, but there is a, wit, a waiting list, which I think is something we can be very proud of. You bet. Um, but we we like to try and get those cars in as quick as possible because people want to sell their cars. And so we have some on consignment and the other ones are donated. And uh, we specialize in the vintage cars, but sometimes we get more modern cars donated to us, which is a really big boon because that isn't something we're capable of collecting right now, but they go for higher values often in the newer cars. Um, and then we get a lot of 80s cars of very condition and everything <laughs> and we've started to collect 80s cars so that's been really fun for me and that goes through um, that donation and car sales department and then if I don't keep it he then gets to sell it and everything as well it's a multifaceted department do they work on the cars too if it needed you know if the battery goes dead or something do you guys keep them maintained at all um, for, for the sale? car sales specifically yes. yeah we do um, for especially for donated cars we do work on them quite a bit mm -hmm. um, and then for the consignment ones 
obviously with approval of the owner, they do work on repairs that they think might be beneficial to get a higher price for it or make it easier to sell or safer to sell. Sometimes we will take them out to local shops and things, depending on the type of work. And then other times we actually have volunteer mechanics here at the museum. We're very lucky. They're the ones that keep our museum owned cars in our collection. Um, we have about a dozen. We're trying to increase that number up and running that we own, but they also work on cars for sales. How often do you, or do you actually actively pursue new cars to buy for the collection? We have not done that historically. We haven't had the budget. But over the last um, years, we've been trying to update our collection and some cars have been sold. Um, and within the museum where we sell a car, it needs to go sell a piece of your collection needs to go back to your collection, that money. So we started to have a small pot and we're starting to think about how are we going to use that money? We haven't really decided anything yet about that, but um, we're just about starting it now that we've gotten our new roof on the building. We've been able to kind of redesign our exhibit. So that's one of our next steps. Um, one of my personal ones, which I hope the committee will support, is I'd really want to get a mid-80s Dodge Caravan minivan, hopefully with the wood paneling. Iconic car of the 80s, one of the first minivans, really set the stage for how Americans drove in the 80s and 90s. So if anybody out there knows of a Dodge Caravan in good condition, I am very interested. They, they, they are iconic. They are and hard I, I, to find. I also picture the old... Uh, Last of the station wagons with the wood sides, too. Absolutely. Yeah. We actually are just accepted a car on loan to bring in, which I believe it's a 63 Buick station wagon. I have mm -hmm. to remember. We haven't brought it in quite yet. Mm -hmm. That's um, real wood, though. And that one, no, that one's not real wood. That one oh, actually really? doesn't have, it wouldn't be real wood. Real wood stopped in the early 50s. Okay. But, um, this one doesn't even have the faux wood, but it's an amazing looking station wagon, single family here in the Sacramento area. It's got the great kind of popped up roof with the oh, little yeah. windows oh, Vista, and then the roof Vista rack. Cruiser. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what it is. The Vista okay. Cruiser. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So it's a really beautiful single family owned station wagon. Um, and we're really excited to bring that in because, yeah, the station wagon is such a huge, important part of the family car and that kind of culture. And we love those types of stories here at this museum. We're not about the flashy cars. I mean, we love them too. Right. But we really love to tell the heart and soul of what makes cars so important to us here. I can add a little bit in that, a little sidebar to that. We all know the. Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee with Jerry Seinfeld, and I mm -hmm. think one of my favorite episodes was about a station wagon mm -hmm. with the actress who was Annie in her younger in her life. Yeah, Annie, Annie. <laughs> anyway, they, they bring all these one-of-a-kind cars in, but she, they drove in a station wagon. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, obviously being a comedian, he sat in the back seat, and when she drove, she kind of lunged it, and the back seat came forward, and she said, <laughs> when I was a kid, that's when the luggage would come from the back seat to the front seat. So they had this great time talking about this iconic station wagon and those memories in cars everybody <laughs> yes. has their own stories about the car they grew up in or the first car they bought and sure. whatever it is those are the kinds of stories i absolutely love and station wagons are chock full of them <laughs> right vw vans vw vans That'd are too yes yeah. <laughs> we are talking about that um like i said with trying to redo our exhibits we're piece by piece reevaluating pretty much every single car on the floor. Is it something we still want? Do we have duplicative stories out there? Are some of these stories really minor stories that we need to be telling the bigger picture? So um, a VW van is on our short list of how can we bring that in and make the space for it and that kind of thing. This might be a good idea to ask 
you're the curator, mm -hmm. your background in cars. How, how did you come to be in this <laughs> occupation? And do you have a big family history with cars? And do you Not own some cars? really. I don't have much of a background <clears throat> with cars at all. My background is much more in history and museums. I mm -hmm. worked at historic house museums before I came here. Mm -hmm. But that transition to what I loved about historic houses to cars was amazingly easy. Mm -hmm. um, I have a pretty good mechanical brain, so that I was very lucky with that. Um, and then the engineering and art combined that happens in the housing, same thing happens in cars mm -hmm. and reflection of our daily lives and how our sure. world has changed. Mm -hmm. When you think about houses, um, for my, one of my favorite examples is the popularity of air conditioning and how the ranch houses that were always popular in California mm -hmm. now are able to be found on the East Coast or other things like that with mm -hmm. central heating and air. Um, those kinds of things are same types of technology drives that changes in cars. You know, as more women start to drive, you get things like the minivan in the 80s, which was designed to be a big van, but comfortable for women to drive. Mm -hmm. And those are the kind of things that reflect our larger culture and changes in our culture. And I love that type of stuff. Have you here. been here for a while now? Yes, I'm here for almost five years now. And okay. I've soaked up everything that has to do with cars. Um, my dad did have a 64 Chevy panel track that I loved playing in as a kid and sure. everything. My mom had um, a Carmen Ghia that she was obsessed with. And we were always looking at Carmen Ghias. That's my, that's my yeah. <laughs> so those are pretty much the only two cars I could recognize on site before I started here. I was going to ask also that being in the capital of California, Bruce and I are old enough to realize this museum had different names mm -hmm. through the years but we're in california we have lots of movies made here including recently ladybird and so does a museum get called on to take part in parades or historical uh, events around town and how does that work for you guys yeah absolutely um like i said earlier we have about 12 cars that we're trying to expand that's part of our road crew program mm -hmm. and it's part of our larger outreach program where we take um, the museum out into the community. Sometimes oh. it's for nonprofits or to schools or, you know, different mm -hmm. types of shows. But a lot of times they are parades. Um, we did the parade for the Sacramento heroes that were over in Belgium. We mm -hmm. do parade um, with Santa or the mayor and other things. It's all over the place. But my favorite really are the educational ones with kids where we take the cars out into the community and be a part of the community that way. Um, but we also partner with the other museums here. We're very lucky Sacramento has such a strong museum community. Mm -hmm. So we've had cars just this last summer over at display at the Railroad Museum and kind of that transition in the early days of cars, how cars and trains were connected and related to each other, whether by style or technology or use, and then how the car eventually basically replaced the train for passenger use. Sure. Um, and just um, next year, we're going to be having some of our artifacts on display here at the Capitol building in the museum in there. So it, it's really an amazing place to connect and have so many different ways to connect with the people of Sacramento, but there's even more ways that we could be doing even more, and it's so really fun to experience. Some of these beautiful cars, very expensive cars that you own, are out there driving around. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow. so it ranges. We try not to take the very nicest of our driving cars mm -hmm. too often. We limit what events those go to just because they're either particularly rare or um, hard to find parts to replace if something breaks. But a lot of them are regular drivers that are just hardworking cars. Actually, our 1938 Buick 
is a great one because it's a four-door sedan, mm -hmm. so it's great to drive people around it. Not so much for parades because it's not a convertible, mm -hmm. but um, that was the first car ever donated to the foundation that became our museum in the early 80s. So it's, it's got this kind of nice life cycle to the car, and that's a very hardworking, good driver car. That's amazing that they yeah. get them out and run them. Now, you, uh, you hear earlier, uh, and we know a little bit about this, but... If you don't mind, can you take us through the museum coming through? It's mm. it's traumatic time recently with with flooding, and and it's now it's back and and take us through that a little bit if you could. Yeah, so the museum first opened in 1987, mm -hmm. and they got this building from the city that were renting it at a very very low price per month from mm -hmm. the city. Um, it was originally just a Ford museum, and then in right. the it was a single person's collection of Fords. In yes. the late 90s, he got in a little bit of trouble with IRS. Um, and so a lot of the cars were auctioned off, and the museum went into its first kind of crisis <laughs> mode and rebranded as the Tau Auto Museum instead of the Tau Ford Museum. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when they started to branch out more into other types of cars, telling the story of um, all the cars, not just the high-end fancy ones at some other places, but the average person's car sometimes. Yes. Sometimes it can be a very expensive average person's car. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then in 2009, I believe, they formally changed the name to to California Automobile Museum because we realized that's really the story that we're telling here. Mm -hmm. But in all that time, um, the roof was supposed to be replaced and the building is originally <laughs> from the 50s mm -hmm. and the roof was never replaced. So it leaked quite a bit, which is not good for I, I remember that leaky roof every yes. time I've been Buckets good for cars. <laughs> no. We'd be putting plastic on cars and pushing them out of the way so that nothing would be damaged. Um, it, it, it was It's quite sad. But this is officially our first winter where we have a new roof on the building. Um, we own the building now. This new roof does not leak because it's new. And it is amazing having no buckets at all. It is a miracle. <laughs> I, think it's, I think the smell, you smell like gasoline and tires and stuff instead of mildew. Right. I do, I do I remember mildew down here. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And That's it, gone. there's were some darker stages in there. Um, they've been patching the roof. So since I've been here in the five years, it had gotten better, I guess. I've heard horror stories of even earlier since before my time of dust and dink and all this dink, stuff. Dink, yeah. That's, that's a, a perfect word. Yeah. yeah. I'd say over the last decade, we've had um, a really great board and our previous director, they made some big strides to try and take this place into a more stable environment. And now our current board and director are really trying to bring this up into much more um, an engaging place to come in a museum. So each step along the way when trying to push this museum up. I think you're the board, uh, president or executive director or the top guy on the board of directors is, is a friend. Uh, I haven't oh, seen him yeah. for a Tupper. Yes. Paul is, is a, yes. we were newspaper reporters together. In, back in the day, we worked for the same company years yeah. ago. Yeah, he but came I, on board <clears throat> through racing, not even through the main story that we're telling. Yes. Certainly store racing is part of it, mm -hmm. um, but it, it's been really fun to see him and other board members kind of come alive and embrace these amazing stories that we're telling here. Right. When you drive by in, in this certain part of the area, I never realized the facility was as big as it is from mm -hmm. the inside it looks so how how big is it it's seven yeah. well the square footage is huge. Seventy-two thousand square feet yeah, yeah. um a portion of that is back of house or event rentals gift mm -hmm. shop things like that 
Um, but I'd say three fourths, mm -hmm. two thirds at the least is um, all cars on display. So not including rotating exhibits. Um, we have a monthly car club that changes out display mm -hmm. um, and then all the cars for sale. So not including those, we have about 120, 130 cars on display at any given time, plus all those additional ones. Sure. Um, we're at the end of 2017. We're obviously going into 18. What's on the horizon? What do you have that you can announce? Uh, special events? Yeah. Special displays? What can you tell us about those? Yeah, we just opened a display on the people of Northern California in the racing scene. It's called NorCal's Fastest, and that is running into early March, March 12th of the last day. Mm -hmm. So we'll have a couple of events. We haven't set the dates yet, but in January, February, some really great events, uh, part of meet and greet to meet some of those racers. And then February, we're going to have the first of a new lecture series that we're going to be developing for all of 2018. So to bring um, people in here who can talk about some just interesting aspects of our car culture. One of my most favorite ones that we're working on is in June, we're gonna be talking about African-Americans traveling in and driving in the state of California and how mm -hmm. people think of Jim Crow laws and how terrible it is in the South. Right. But a lot of those same issues were happening here in California. There was the Green Book, which was um, a directory of safe places for blacks to travel to and stay at in restaurants. And so bringing those kinds of important stories alive um, or maybe we're talking to someone who races cars and we're learning about racing. So it's going to be a wide variety of mm -hmm. deeper topics to more fun topics. That's sure. a new lecture series that's in 2018. Um, and then after this racing exhibit ends at the end of March, we're going to be opening up an exhibit on Sacramento customs and hot rods. And that's Great. one I'm really excited about. The Sacramento custom culture was really quite influential in the 40s and 50s. We have people, um, Harry Westergaard, Dick Bertolucci, and um, Sam Barris are the main three that we're gonna be talking about. Mm -hmm. LA is always known for its custom car culture. Um, and sometimes Sacramento is often forgotten because of that, but mm -hmm. there was influence that happened here in Sacramento that influenced um, Los Angeles and their car culture and designers and really amazing people. I mean, the Barris brothers, everybody knows George Barris for the Batmobile and Hollywood. And all sure, that sure. But Sam Barris was his brother and they were a team and Sam went down to LA too, but I know he wanted to come back to Sacramento. Um, so there's some really fascinating characters and absolutely beautiful cars. And then we'll be just talking about customization in general. What does that mean for people who don't know the differences and what happens when you're designing custom cars. So I'm really excited for that one. We were lucky enough uh, recently to interview, he likes to be called Giselle. We know him as Henry because people call him Giselle if they're friends. We had never met him before. <laughs> His first name is Henry uh, Roberson, and he's a, a drag racer mm -hmm. uh, out at Sac Raceway. And I've only been in town for 40-something years, as has Bruce. Um, and we didn't know of this guy, but he's as passionate about his what he does as anybody else. So I'm sure that there are lots of people around that people should know about. Absolutely, it is amazing. All the different little subcultures and communities within yes. the different parts of the car world. Um, in this racing exhibit, we've talked with people who are in sprint cars and they all know each other and like, wow, we we're featuring a woman who's 23 years old and she won the 2016 championship at Silver Dollar Speedway. Wow. I had never heard of her before this, mm -hmm. but I'm not part of that community. Sure. Someone else who was 
racing sprint cars back in the 70s were like, oh, you have Angelique Bell? That is so great. You know, they knew of her because of that specific smaller culture. And bringing those stories and those people to life, that's just one of many, like drag racing community is another, mm-hmm. or the custom car community is sure. another. You know, bringing those stories to life and the people behind it is what really makes it fun. And hopefully, if you're not a racing person, we can help you understand why racing can be so cool, even if you personally, that's not your thing. And you can still respect it, understand it better by coming here and experiencing What are it. some new uh, car cultures maybe nobody's heard about yet? Like everybody's heard of drag racing right. and hot rods. Is there something, is, I don't know, electric yeah. vehicle driver <laughs> subculture really or something now? Uh, yeah, there's different. I mean, Compared to what we do here in the museum, like the tuner car culture mm-hmm. is pretty new, even though that's been around for a while now. Fast and furious type. Right, okay. yeah. yeah. And that's drifting too. and tuner. Yeah, but different drifting, types yeah. of things. Um, we had a tuner car show a couple of years ago where it was mostly uh, Fords, a lot of Fords. And we got mm-hmm. some minis and other ones of modern cars that have been tuned and it's kind of the modern equivalent of hot rodding. Mm-hmm. But we also are um, involved with the local EV club. There is a SAC EV club, which is one of the larger ones here um and there's we've done stuff with the silicon valley ev club as well it it is a very active community and sacramento is a place where those things are changing you have the state capital here but also sacramento just got awarded money from volkswagen so we want to be part of that and telling what's the future of cars um maybe it's an autonomous cars they're trying to test out autonomous cars here and so that's the direction we see some more expanding going on, but we've hosted events with different types of clean cars and um, things like that. Uh-huh. So that's really fun. Our new friend that I mentioned, uh, Henry, we were asking if there were any women involved in drag racing, and he he gave this wonderful quote. At least I thought it was wonderful that women are actually very good at it because they don't they're not they're not, they're not fearful. And he said maybe there's something inherent inherent about being a woman that allows him to be really good at, at drag racing. And he, yeah, and he, no fear. Yeah, no fear. And so you mentioned this woman. I don't know the name of the woman. Annette. Uh, Annette. Angelique Bell. Angelique Bell. Yeah. So are there other prominent women that you're aware of in town that have been at it for a long time? Unfortunately not. Yeah. It, uh, racing, there's, it still very much is a male-dominated field, yeah. um, which is sad. Just generally the car field as a whole is. Yes. Um, but it's something that we're actively trying to change. Um, I know Angelique likes to be a role model for young girls. And yes. um, she's even said that with stuff on the national level, Danica Patrick, you start to see more younger girls coming into it. So sure. hopefully in the future, we'll see more um, women. There there are influential women around. We had Lynn St. James here oh, a yes. couple of years That's ago. That's the name I remember. Right. Yes, we yes. had her here for an event. Um, so we really try and um, kind of push just, that the car world is open to everybody. Um, so hopefully we'll see that more as well. We're very fortunate and at the same time it's a burden that there's so many amazing people here in the Northern California, Central Valley, all over the place. There's amazing talent, amazing skill, amazing stories. So yeah, the more we can bring in, the better. So we're, we're, I don't know if we'll be able to get to everybody. <laughs> so <laughs> I love uh, it. Sacramento's a destination city for a lot of people. They come and they look at the capital. They visit certain places. So and everybody's got a web presence. So mm-hmm. if somebody wants to find out about the museum, where do they go and what do you suggest? How do they look? How do they look at the website? Do you have newsletters and yeah? How do we get the word out to, to help you guys? Yeah, the the kind of the biggest most obvious is our website we're calautomuseum.org and so there's lots of 
things. We've put all of our events up on there, information about our exhibits, links to our car sales, event rentals, mm-hmm. everything you can imagine. But we also have an option to sign up for our newsletter. So you can get regular mm-hmm. newsletters. Um, if you become a member of the museum, you get additional newsletters and some special perks or special events. But then we also, of course, have social media, Facebook and Instagram. Our handles sure. are Cal Auto Museum, just like our website. So mm-hmm. it, it's pretty fun. Um, we've really been growing our social media in the past years. I think it's over tripled our Facebook followers since when I first started here. So it's, it's been really fun to kind of bring that, um, as well into the museum. Yeah. This is a little bit off, uh, but it's part of the museum. We noticed the, the soda fountain kind of area. Is that for rent during parties or is that, does it work? I mean, it looks, it's closed up now, but how does yeah. that part of the museum work if it does? Yeah, we do have event rentals here at the museum. Yeah. We have a special event hall after hours. They rent and they take over the whole museum at times. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that front area, we have served ice cream and things like that as part of the events. Although we're probably we're thinking about changing up our front entrance. So that may no longer be an event rental space and it may be a different area. It's mm-hmm. all part of, we're trying to update our facility and see what is the way of the future. One other car sure. I wanted to ask about, a 1911 Detroit Electric. Yeah. And, you know, we're talking about newer cars. It says 80 miles to a charge, mm-hmm. which is about what the Leaf gets. Right. <laughs> Go figure. What's, <laughs> what's old is new again, or is anything new? And all yeah, those topics. Yeah. One of my favorite things in talking about cars is how when the car first came out, it was not really appreciated they were either rich toys they were noisy things that farmers hated because they'd scare the animals um of course the model t changed all of that within the teens and the 20s but these early cars people were trying to figure out what was actually going to be successful and they were mm-hmm. tinkering it was like silicon valley um from like, the 90s or something yeah, like or the 80s even yeah. yeah and trying to figure out what would work and so there were um in the early 1900s, right around the turn of the century, about a third of all cars were electric, a third were steam, and about a third were internal combustion. Mm-hmm. And having um, these electric cars, this 1911 Detroit, that's one of the largest brands, one of the most popular brands, is here to show that it wasn't assumed that all cars were going to be gasoline right from the mm-hmm. get-go. And they had a lot of the same problems that electric cars are facing today with things like range and how to charge and things like that. But they were extremely popular with women. They were considered quieter, of course, quieter. They're also considered cleaner, which they also are considered today. (laughs) Um, And they were also popular with people like doctors who needed it to be, it was a really reliable starter. Cars in that Mm -hmm. time, you had to crank start. It could be dangerous. It may not work in bad weather, things like that. So uh, electric cars were popular for a large uh, chunk of the population um and then they just died out as gas became more and more popular and um people really decided on that was going to be those darn electric starters wrecked it for the electric (laughs) yeah exactly 1912 the cadillac electric starter that did because that also was a huge thing that allowed women to start to drive internal combustion cars because now it was safe for them to start the car up themselves um and so that was the beginning of women driving as well um, much more com- because they were a lot cheaper than electric cars electric cars were much more expensive on the whole compared to the new cheaper gasoline cars probably like Model took T three stuff. days to charge them too i don't know 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know how long they actually charge. I imagine it to be relatively similar to today, but I'm, I'm guessing on that, actually. I wonder if anybody yeah. sat Elon Musk down and said, you know, you're just not that special. They were doing, <laughs> they were doing this 100 years ago. Well, except yeah. his, his batteries do yeah, last yeah, they, a lot they, uh, longer yeah. than 80 miles. Give them credit where credit's due, of course. Yeah. But, uh, but of refining the technology and making it work and making them affordable is something that we're bringing back. Um, and yeah. it, it's just really exciting, I think, for us. And I you had a Honda cell. Clarity out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Fuel cell. I personally <clears throat> like the idea of back in the day, it was the three different technologies. <clears throat> I love the idea of our future is maybe more efficient gasoline cars, electric cars, and fuel cell. But we'll see. That's just my dream world. But we'll see what actually happens. Well, we'd like to stuff. thank uh, Carly Starr very much. She have yeah, a fountain of knowledge. We very, <laughs> barely tapped the surface here. But you're, you've been a great guest. So we want to thank you for joining us on the Weekly Driver Podcast. For Bruce Aldrich and Carly Starr, I'm James Rea, and we'll talk to you next week. The Weekly Driver Podcast receives support from americantrucks.com, your late model Silverado, Sierra, Ram, and F-150 online aftermarket retailer, bringing you all of the hottest parts from accessories to lift kits, from wheels to tires and winches. americantrucks.com has the knowledge and know-how to make your wildest dreams come to reality. Visit americantrucks.com for your chance to win $17,760 in upgrades for your truck.